Osiris. Hi, listeners. I want to tell you about a cause that I'm involved with at Heritage Radio Network. HRN is celebrating its 15th year, and to celebrate, we're deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. You're tuned into the show on the road, and this week I bring you my talk with a bombshell blues guitarist and singer songwriter based in New Orleans, the one and only Samantha Fish. Ooh, that guitar crunch is pretty spicy. Now, let me ask you this when you look up the greatest guitar players of all time, You know, type it into Google right now. Try it. What do you see? I see a series of iconic figures. You know, Jimi Hendrix, Carlos Santana, Eric Clapton, Keith Richards, B.B. King, Albert King, Brian May from Queen, Dwayne Allman of the Allman Brothers, Jerry Garcia of the Grateful Dead, Billy Gibbons of ZZ Top. You know how it goes. Maybe even Andre Segovia for classical guitar, or Django Reinhardt and Charlie Christian and Wes Montgomery for jazz guitar, or young bluegrass phenoms like Billy Strings. But you know what I don't see? A single woman. Now, is that just the bias of my algorithm? Notice, I didn't type in greatest male guitarists of all time, and yet the list curiously didn't include Bonnie Raitt, Joan Jett, Tracy Chapman, Nancy Wilson of Heart, Gabriella Wilson, known as Her, and maybe Susan Tedeschi should be on there? Or heck, what about my guest on this show a few weeks back, Andy DeFranco? Or going back to the origins of rock and roll, what about the preaching prophet of gospel blues, Sister Rosetta Tharp, or the lightning-figured foil of Les Paul, Mary Ford? And if you look hard enough on this second list, you'll see a platinum blonde coiffed figure in a red dress with a sly smile on her face. It's our guest this week, Samantha Fish, who didn't take up the guitar until she was a pizza-slinging teenager in Kansas City. And then, for years, she didn't think she could or even should play lead guitar. And why? Maybe because, as you'll hear in our conversation, there was no one around her to look up to. Not to say her family wasn't encouraging. They were. But representation matters. Who were the women in her life who were doing it, who were playing lead guitar like a fucking badass? She didn't see it, and so she didn't do it. And then she did. And that's why we're here. As you can hear, uh, I have a dog in the house now. That'll make podcasting really fun. A study released by the guitar maker Fender shows that women account for 50% of all beginner and aspirational players, and the instrument maker is adjusting its marketing focus accordingly. There's a line in Samantha Fish's song, Need You More, that I will analyze later in the episode that I just can't stop thinking about. She says, I'm baptized by fire and compromise, and I'm busy chasing my own high. Sometimes when I look in the mirror, it's still a long way out. 
But if I learned anything from our talk, it's that Samantha doesn't have any time to doubt herself anymore. When she looks in the mirror, she sees an award-winning guitarist and songwriter who headlines festivals like Jazz Fest across the world. And while this conversation is a little bit like a time capsule, it was recorded in the before times when we could talk face-to-face -face, and before her newest record, Kaylor Be Kind, came out, we will feature some of those newer tunes, like the one you're hearing right now, Bulletproof. And as live venues start to open up again, and uh, as I start announcing festivals that my band Dust Bowl Revival will be on, like Red Wing Roots, which is happening July 11th in Virginia, it felt fitting that I could bring back this conversation where we kind of just talked like we used to. Two people in close proximity with no hand sanitizer in sight, talking into one mic about the thing they love most, making music. let you go, I would like to tell you that tonight, my band Dust Bowl Revival will be playing our final set from our double virtual concert experience. Please check that out before it's too late. We play classics and tell crazy stories and introduce some of the new members who are joining our band. So please check it out, dustbowlrevival.com. It's 7 p.m. Thursday, May 13th, and you can watch it for 48 hours. It'll be super special. Thank you for supporting live music. We're going to be taking a couple weeks off from the show as uh, we get ready to go to Colorado to play some music in person. That's right, May 28th, we're going to be playing at Levitt Pavilion, Denver, and Dust Bowl Revival will be headlining Meadowgrass in Colorado Springs on the 29th. It's going to be really exciting. I hope I can see my mountain folks there. And we will be releasing our entire summer and fall touring schedule very soon. That's it for me, folks. Uh, please leave us a kind review in iTunes, as always. And if you can, tell your friends about this show. In June, we will have new episodes with John McRae of Cake, one of my all-time favorite bands, Amy Helm, that is Levon Helm's daughter, who has a new record coming out, and many more. So please check it out, showontheroad.com. Without further ado, here she is now, the blues goddess herself, Samantha Fish. favorite place to eat in New Orleans? <laughs> That's a tough question because I'm not really home enough to, to I don't know. I, I, I'm i just kind of like trying to figure out my neighborhood still, but I like... Um, Which neighborhood are you in? I'm kind of closer to the lake, but you know, I'm not like spouting that one too, too loud, but um, I do like... Uh, I mean, I, I'm a fan of like the St. Rock Market if you're looking for something quick. Um, you know, still trying to kind of figure out the quarter and uptown. Giacomo's is amazing. That's kind of like the the fine dining, we, fancy food people. We did put out the bat signal, like, we're going to be in New Orleans with a rare night off. Yeah. Where should we eat? And that was definitely... Giacomo's? Oh, it's so good. multiple times. Amazing. Us. Yeah. The food there is amazing. I mean, there's it's New Orleans. Like, you can't really go wrong. The food is great everywhere. How long have you been uh, living here? Uh, almost two years. Uh, it'll be two years in the spring. And you're from Kansas City originally, right? Yeah. Yeah, I lived in Kansas City my whole life. Until until two years ago? Yep. It's kind of a change. Yeah, I mean, it was a, 
it was something I've always wanted to do. I love I love the city of New Orleans, and I've been coming there since I was like a teenager, you know, on vacations and passing through for shows and doing a lot of work. And, you know, my I was just kind of drawn to it and always wanted to make the change and, and make the jump. And um, everything just lined up at one point. It was like most of my band was going to be from down in the southern, you know, states, a lot of them from New Orleans. Um it was closer to my business. My management was closer down there. It just seemed like the right place to go, you know, to start working out of that, out of that area. And and also, you know, I'm a songwriter. Great for inspiration. It's a beautiful place. Lots of music. I do love, uh, like on a Frenchman, when you walk down past all the, the venues, that all the stages are at like the window, mm-hmm. you know. And it was like the only time I can really watch like a drummer from above and behind him almost. Yeah, yeah. It was like, oh, that's how... Kind of a different view of the stage, you know, for (laughs) the audience. Very cool, yeah. You could almost like sample or like taste each band. Yeah. Like before you go in. I think that's the point. They're they're trying to draw you in. Yeah. Yeah. in Kansas City, kind of a musical family, right? Yeah. Um, my dad played guitar. My mom sang in church a lot. My sister picked up uh, playing piano and singing and playing guitar, and all their friends played, and all my uncles played guitar, just everybody. The music was always a thing. It was always around. But I didn't pick it up until I was 13. I started playing drums. Did that for a couple years, still kind of off and on. I'm not going to go gig as a drummer, but... Um, when I picked up guitar at 15, I started singing at the same time. That's pretty it, late. It, it, I guess it is. That's what people say. Um, but I, I don't know. I mean, I kind of picked it up and started running with it just because I think I had that, that background of drumming. So there was this innate sense of rhythm that helped me with my singing and timing and playing and things kind of fell together. Um, but, but yeah, and I started doing lead maybe at 18 or 19. I can't really remember when. Do you remember watching someone in particular that you wanted to kind of uh, do it? Yeah, of course. I mean, I saw, like, I was watching, like, Stevie Ray Vaughan DVDs and, <laughs> like, Freddie King performances, and I was like, man, why can't I do this? Like, I think for some reason when I was, like, in my early teens, I, I didn't see a lot of girls ripping guitars, so I don't know why. It was just, like, a weird thing I had in my head that it wasn't... I don't know. I, I just, I didn't pick it up until I was like 18 or 19. I always have like the, the weirdest uh, rock and roll moment for, and it's not like I ever really thought I would be in a band like as my life, but I remember I played classical violin growing up and yeah. then my dad and my mom were more like rock and roll people. They were like, yeah, you can play classical, but sure you don't want to be in a band? Yeah. yeah. And then I was like, I want to be a bass player. And I saw an Eagles music video. Yeah. And the guy was playing this big, like, wood electric bass. Wow, yeah. And I was like, I want that bass. <laughs> I want to be like that guy. And it wasn't even a guy in the Eagles. It was like some rando side guy. Right, right, right. And I remember going to this music store in Michigan City, Indiana. I was like, do you have like a wood grain bass? Yeah. And my mom's like, yeah, we can't 
afford that, it's you wouldn't even know if you really want to do this. Let's get you like the Squire base level model. Right. You know? See if you stick with it. Yeah. Yeah. My parents were the same way. My my dad had guitars laying around, thank God. So I just kind of stole his for a while, and then eventually, I don't think I got my own guitar till I was like 19 years old, 20 or 19. Well, no, 18. Do you play all Taylors now? No, no. That's just my acoustic. Um, I, I play all kinds of guitars. I play. Um, I play Gibsons, I play Fenders, I got a, own a company that makes my own signature model called Delaney Guitars, they've been good to me for years. Um, I play cigar box guitars, man, We I, I got a, a huge arsenal of just a bunch of stuff. It was amazing driving down here to Mississippi, uh, just to see all the people who were from these towns on that, you know, way down from Memphis yeah. to New Orleans, it's just like the sheer amount of musical greatness that came from one strip of land, you know, and it's yeah. just this very rural green area. Um, do you remember when blues music really hit you as something that you had to be a part of? Yeah. I mean, it kind of came at me in a few different ways. Um, I grew up listening to like rock and roll. That's sort of what my, my parents had spoon fed me as a kid. And I listened to the radio and, and classic rock, you know, for guitar players, sort of what I felt like pulls you, pulled me in. And I realized all my favorite guitar players, where they learned everything that they knew was from blues music. And, you know, I just kind of started going backwards. And I was I was curious, you know, like, why did Stevie Ray Vaughan get into doing what he was doing? Why did, um, you know, Mike Campbell from Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers do what he did? Why, why does Keith Richards play like he plays? Um, and you start finding blues through that. And then growing up in Kansas City when I started learning how to play guitar and singing and I wanted to go out and showcase and play with other bands and people like it, it's such a blues town I mean there's such a long history of jazz and blues in Kansas City lots of jams so that was another avenue that kind of hit me and then I think discovering like North Mississippi sounds and Delta blues I just I really felt like I don't know there was something so raw and heartfelt and just real about that kind of music and, and it just stuck it really struck me I think because I loved rock and roll and then you know here's Junior Kimbrough and Arl Burnside playing this really raw just you know my dad music it, it, it cut Chicago, where I'm from, see uh, Buddy Guy at the Metro, just like kind of like a more punk rock club. Yeah. I'm not sure why he was playing there, but I remember him going in the balcony, like with his wireless guitar. Yeah. You know, and he's just like the most badass person I'd ever seen in person. He you know? he still does that. He's amazing. Have you ever played with him? Yeah, one time. No, wait. Oh, well, yeah, one time. One time. I've met him a couple times, but um. I've seen him. We we did that show with him. He does that uh, every January. He plays a residency at Buddy Guys every night. He he plays his club, um, but he does that. I mean, he he has so, such a way of connecting. And I think it's just that raw soul. People just they feel it. You know, it, it's, it drops all the the frills, and it's it's just music and, and emotion straight to you. I always get curious about people who can really leave their bodies in the middle of a show. Yeah, and and I'm not a soloist. I'm more of a songwriter, and rhythm player. But for you, when you get to that point where the solo is going into the stratosphere, can you feel your brain separating from reality? <laughs> um, 
I, th- I don't know. I mean, I that that's such a. I only know my my perspective of being on stage and playing music and and how I feel about it. And honestly, it's like I I forget the audience is there quite a bit. Um, not to sound rude or anything like that. No, it's but sometimes you you you're almost, into the music. You you're know? most into the the moment when you're not self-conscious anymore of the room and the people watching you. Yeah, yeah. I think that sometimes being aware of everybody is a little bit freaky. <laughs> but, you know, when we start hitting, hitting like, you know, a groove that's really, you know, taking off and going somewhere, yeah, I mean, you kind of, like, lose yourself in the music, and it's exciting. It's fun. I mean, that's what we do it for, is that feeling. Um, it's just a little bit of an elevated thing. probably 18 or 19 it's hard I never like wrote it down and kept track of it but I I think uh, 18 or 19 is when I started I I think I recorded my first album Um, maybe it was released when I was 20 um, but I did that one on my own it was just a live recording at a at a little Monday night residency I had Um, but I signed a record deal and with a German label and started writing really hard after that, you know, like, okay, now I got to start putting out albums consistently. So, and rough records has put out most of your mm-hmm. recent material, right? Five solo releases, two collaborative efforts. Um, and in about the span of like eight years or so. Um, yeah, yeah. They've, they've been really, really good to me. I just signed a, a new record deal. That's where I'm working on an album with them, but Roof and I had a, have had a great relationship I, I love them. Did I say rough? I don't know. It, it's How is it pronounced? <laughs> I call them roof. It's roof. Roof. Yeah, but watch me get it wrong. Like, I've been with them for eight years, and I might... You would know better than no, I. No, it's Thomas Roof, and it's his last name, Roof Records. We're going to edit that earlier part out when I said uh, rough records. <laughs> That's good. You're... Roof Records. Um, so your, your last record, uh, Bell of the West, which is... Uh, you recorded with Luther Dickinson. Yeah. Right? In Mississippi, right? Yes. Yes. What was that like? I mean, that was, that was, um, that record was kind of born out of the Wild Heart uh, session, which we'd done the record before Chills and Fever. That whole album, Wild Heart, took place kind of on this uh, studio pilgrimage. We, we recorded that in like four or five studios. And uh, so when we did a Bell of the West, I really wanted to come back to that original studio, the, the Zebra Ranch, where we, we'd done a lot of acoustic tracks. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, we, we brought in Luther, uh, Jimbo Mathis came and played, and uh, Lightning Malcolm, and... Uh, Amy LeVere. Amy LeVere, yeah, Lily May, uh, and um, Takira Jackson, and Sade Thomas played Fife on it. I mean, just amazing. Yeah, the Fife was, like, kind of threw me for a loop, you know? Well, it's really cool. That's North Mississippi, I mean, with the Turner, it's, that's it was born there, and, and she's, she's carrying that whole tradition forward. I mean, it's, it's pretty amazing. I think it was an, it was an awesome cast of musicians, and um, it was it was a great moment. I, I loved the female empowerment. I mean, there was more women in the room, and than I'd ever been in a studio with all these beautiful female voices, and 
um, it was just kind of, it was a really great experience. sort of uh, holding a certain responsibility for, you know, making sure that women know it's possible that they can be out there and killing it? Yeah, I mean, yeah, absolutely. Because obviously know, we need more if I don't, you guys. If, if we don't gals. go through some of the bullshit, somebody else is going to have to. So I'm just hoping to go through some of this and, you know. You think it's gotten better? Absolutely. Yeah, and, and it's... And there's more and more women picking up instruments and fronting bands and getting respect in the music industry and, you know, all and, and not just in, in the music industry, but in industry in general, you know. Um, but I feel like the more I do, then, then the less maybe somebody else has to, to do, go through, you know. But um, I've been really fortunate and, and I really, I think it's important, you know. There needs to be more women who, who set an example I wish I had a few more when I started playing guitar. Maybe it wouldn't have been so weird to play lead for a minute. But, Did people uh, give you a hard time at first? Um, or was it kind of condescending? Like, of course, oh, yeah. Why don't you try it? Of course, you know. And there's and I still have people come. I still have like sound guys come up and tell me that I'm not doing using my microphone right or my pedal board or you know whatever. All right. Um, yeah, I only play like 200. Yeah, eight, exactly. Eight a year, Everywhere, dude. dude. Um, it, it does happen, but it hap- I remember it happening a lot early on, um, and you don't really know how to kind of to deal with that. It's like a 20-year-old. Um, now I'm, I'm a little less, <laughs> I'm a little less like patient with it. But um, I mean, it did happen. There, there was some some condescending stuff, but I, that's kind of. I think everybody deals with that a little bit. I really loved your song uh, "Need You More," which is off Bell of the West. Um, Thank yeah, you. There's this sequence where it says another bar another hotel room days fly by baptized by fire and compromise yeah that's so much about what really being in a band is like yeah you you have this sort of passion about you know well I'm gonna make my music tell my story and then you realize like the world is only gonna meet you so far you know can you tell me a little more about that song um, I mean, that's kind of a road song. And, and that whole line, baptized by fire and compromise, you know, this this job is like you're kind of uh, thrown into the fire, so to speak, and, and you, you're kind of sent out in the world to figure it out. Um, and you end up compromising a lot of things that, you know, I see my friends who have straight jobs or, you know, kind of took a different path. Um, you don't really get to, to live like, you know, you don't, you, get to, you don't get to have everything. You know, sometimes you have to compromise, like, the amount of friends you have or, like, the family you, you might have. It's You give up a lot to go and do this, but it's because, you know, the love you have for music is really the driving factor behind it all. You know, but that song is just kind of about missing a significant other and, you know. Can you tell me about a show or a venue or situation recently where you started questioning your life choices? <laughs> I mean... Mine was, like, two days ago in... Chattanooga. Really? No, in Oxford, Mississippi. <laughs> Maybe you should tell me what happened to you. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing happened. It was just like, you know, we have the knack of playing college towns whenever yeah. a college is doing like a very important event for yeah. all the students. So like no one wants to go to your show. Right. 
and it's like cold and pouring rain and you're oh, like yeah. what are we doing here you know well that kind of stuff's always a drag but um you know we we do every once in a while you show up somewhere and and for whatever reason the turnout isn't there and you're like man what am i doing out here <laughs> <laughs> we have that but i always have fun on stage and i um but you know you, you hit that every once in a while where you're just tired and kind of burn out and but I, I never really questioned should I be should I be doing this because I don't know what else I'd be doing that would make me happy. I've I've had this conversation with a lot of musicians. It's like you're kind of damned if you do, damned if you don't. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, you know, but that's it's just the kind of person you are. You're sort of wrapped up in this thing. It's I can't really do anything else. I can't really help it. Yeah, so. it's like what am I qualified to do at this point? Well, yeah, and and, and would I even be happy doing something else I was qualified to do? I. I I feel like it's um, there. There's something really worthwhile here for me. It makes me happy, um, for whatever that's worth. But there are tough days, like every, every like, like everything, you know. What was the last time you worked a regular boring job? Really? Oh man. I mean. Maybe it wasn't boring. It's actually pretty public. Like, <laughs> I used to tell people all the time. I I delivered pizzas and I um. I managed a pizza place. Um, In KC? Yeah, yeah. I helped my dad paint houses sometimes. I mean, but I my big gig was I delivered pizzas. Um, was it good pizza? It was great. Yeah, like I'm the best pizza maker. I'm also, oh, you made the I'm, pizzas too? Yeah, I made pizzas. I delivered pizzas. I'm, you know, I'm pretty confident about those skills as well. So if I ever needed to fall back, I... I mean, it's pretty much an automatic happiness delivery engine. You know, it's like pizza is... It's going to make people happy. I think I, well, I don't know about that. Working in food service is a drag. People kind of use you as a punching bag. It's like they had a bad day, so they're like, oh, yeah. You people suck. were mean to you when you delivered pizzas? People are mean to everybody who works in food service. I I, I just found that out. That's, why, that's probably why I'm like so, you know, I try to be so nice to, to, to people in food service. It just kind of it can be a crappy gig sometimes. People just get mean. But, um. No, I mean, I don't know. Most of the time, it was fun for me because I get to drive around in my car and listen to the radio all day. Go make money, you know, delivering pizzas. It was fun. I I used to work at Jamba Juice when I was in high school. Yeah? And we would, when the manager or the boss wasn't looking and there was no one in the shop, we would take the steam little valves that you would make, like, the hot drinks with. Yeah. And we'd put towels on them and then do, like, spa treatments. <laughs> Except that one is time. that with health? Is that cool with the health code? I mean, no, probably not. <laughs> that Jamba Juice is no longer there in Chicago. Well, we probably did some things that I don't know, nothing terrible. But I look back and I'm like, what were we doing in there? Just war stories. I also really enjoyed your song "Angels." Oh, no angels. Um, no angels. Sorry. Yeah. Um, it kind of reminded me of uh, some of the tunes from Springsteen's Nebraska, especially oh, State thanks. Trooper and, and, you know, the sort of these haunted highway songs. Yeah. Green eyed baby. Guardian Angel when you were starting out? 
Um, yeah, I mean, I have had a few people that were really good to me and, and looked out for me. Um, the music industry can be a treacherous place, and, and it's really good to have a few people that you really do trust. I mean, I trust my manager implicitly and um, some friends of mine uh, that play music. I, I always, like, um, Mike Zito is the one who kind of, who introduced me to my manager and introduced me to my label and produced my first record. And he always, you know, he guided me um, when I was really, really young. I don't even think I wanted to sign my record deal when I first, I, I was scared. I was like, I don't know, should I even do this? He goes, what do you do? Or no, Albert Castilla asked me that too. Albert Castillo was another guy who was a, a good guide, but I was really nervous. I didn't want to sign a record deal. He's like, well, what are you doing now? And I said, I'm delivering pizzas. He's like, huh, I could see how that'd be tough for you. <laughs> hey, I, delivering pizzas is really fun for me. He's like, no, you, you should definitely sign your, your record deal, silly. <laughs> yeah. you, you, you big goof. Um, no, but I, I had some really good friends who, who who looked out for me and also great family, too. I've got I've got a great, solid foundation of family members and I, I'm really fortunate. The sounds that we're hearing in the background are people rocking out at the Sugar Magnolia Music Festival yes. here in Kiln, Mississippi. I'm, I'm supposed to plug it. That's yeah. What they, that's what they said. Um, is there a particular festival uh, or venue that you love the most in the states that you've been recently? Man, we just did Telluride for the third time in a row. I'm not trying to brag, but I'm bragging a little. <laughs> that was amazing. Blues and brews? Yeah. It's incredible. And what an incredible festival. And and it was such a big deal when we got it because I've been watching that lineup for years and um, wanting to get on it just so, so bad. And we got there, and they, they loved us, and we loved them, and they're so nice, and they brought us back. Um, so that that's an amazing that's an amazing festival. Jazz Fest was great. That was first time doing that this year. Um, I don't, we're, we're really finally starting to hit all the ones that I saw when I was like 19 years old. The, the lineup would come out and I'd be like, oh, my God, I, if I could only just someday get on that. And, you know, it, it takes a long time, a lot of miles, a lot of hard work. And it's, it's kind of cool to finally get to be on some of these bills. And, you know, it's great. One of my favorite questions to ask is if you could start the Samantha Fish Music Festival. Your first five artists that you would oh book, gosh. dead or alive. Do I have a lot of money? <laughs> doesn't Is matter. money and uh, money doesn't okay? Um, well, geez. I guess um, we'd start with Tom Petty because I miss him. Um, the Rolling Stones, R.L. Burnside, uh, Junior Kimbrough, and Otis Redding. Done. Yeah, done. It's happening. Elvis is sort of peering at us from the back of this trailer right now. Yeah, he is. We passed his hometown coming here in Tupelo. We did, yeah. Do you ever think that the ghosts of your heroes are hovering above you when you're playing? I wish they were. I hope they are. <laughs> I don't know. I, I, If I thought about it in those terms, I'd probably get all freaked out. Um, I don't know. <laughs> Being completely honest, no, I, I don't. <laughs> but I liked it. That's a nice thought. Oh, my 
there's something about the the progression I think through time of, of music and you know I get jealous sometimes of hearing stories from even my grandparents who just got to see you know Benny Goodman's orchestra yeah. going to the movies for a buck in New York you know and like it's like why can't I go back in time and like hang out with them yeah and watch that one time you know but I think it's almost like the memory of the music you love is always sort of cycling through you know? yeah um and the uh the thing about you, the progression of your music that I'm seeing is definitely you know you're starting to tell more stories and 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 be super vulnerable in some of the songs and and it's not just about you know guitar licks which we all need some more guitar yeah, licks absolutely. but like this new record and some of your new musics definitely feels like you're digging really deep which is really cool well you know and I I've done a few interviews about that because I think kind of the expectation when you come out playing guitar in, in some cases is that you're gonna you know always be the the guitar hero I guess um and I feel like I I get to do enough the guitar thing but I, I don't want to write songs as a vehicle for a guitar solo I want to write songs and then play what serves a song because the song is the most important thing and um and I'm, I'm just really fortunate to get to deliver that, you know. And if I get to do a cool solo, then great. Um, but I, I appreciate that. I'm trying. I'm, you know, I think I think that's the most important part above singing and playing guitars is being able to tell a story that connects with people and can tell their story. Um, and that's that's something I've been trying to focus on. Oh, my sweet little sexy baby. Why can't you sleep on the side of me? Why can't I breathe so easily? Don't you know what you do to me? Pack of smokes in your pocket change Are all I got when you go away It hurts my heart but I can't complain I would have done this anyway How does a song start for you? I don't have a formula, man. I honestly wish I did. Um, I have a phone full of psychobabble and I have a phone full of like melodies that are, you know, like little like just pretty lines or something, and I, I try to build something around that. Sometimes the whole song comes out all at once, and I, I have no control over it. Do you want to share the titles of our uh, babble? Because I got some weird ones oh, in mind. No, I mean, it's usually just voice memo 174, voice memo 175, and I, I'll go back and listen to them, like, what, what was I doing that I've been day? trying it's to like, title... Bing, bing, boo, yeah, it's like yeah. I've been trying to title mine, so it's like... All right, I got Traverse City Dreamy. Well, that's nice. At least you got, like, something. Uh, Classic Rock Interlude Lansing. <laughs> uh, not Tonight. <laughs> that's, I don't know. And the funny thing is that sometimes I'll f- totally forget what these things are, like, the next day. Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, at least you have some kind of way to, you know, catalog it. I always feel like if the police found my phone, if something ever happened to me, and they were like, what's in these voice memos? They'd be like, what's wrong with this chick? There's a lot of weird stuff in here. Have you had any run-ins with the police on tour ever? No, never. Never, actually. I mean, we, we've been really... I don't know, have we had any run-ins? Dude, we've been on the road so long. I Nobody's ever been arrested. What? So that's that's kind of how I... I've gotten a lot of speeding tickets. You know? Do you have a lead foot? Totally, yeah. I don't drive anymore. Um, they, t- they took a car away from you? <laughs> <laughs> no. I just, I brought somebody else in to get the tickets, so. This friend of mine in Michigan, her folks come to the show, and they're like, we have um, some presents for you. I've never met these people. Yeah. Right? They give us, 
like a 12 pack of beer and then an envelope that says banned candy. Oh, shoot. What, I was like, what? Is what? That? And it's just weed. Oh, okay. That's right? Which is fine. But I'm like, wait, all these places we're driving, it's not legal, right? We're yeah. driving into Indiana, Tennessee, Mississippi. And I'm always like, I would say I'm a, a cautious hedonist, mm-hmm. right? Like, I don't do a lot of drugs or drink a lot, but I like a little bit of everything, yeah. you know? But then I'm like, all right, we get pulled over in Mississippi. My backpack clearly smells like weed right now. <laughs> <laughs> and I actually flushed some of it down the toilet the other day. Cause I was oh, like, no. Because I was like, I, you know what? I don't really want the hassle going into Mississippi right now. Oh, wow. And now I kind of regret doing that. But for some Mississippi, reason. Mississippi, I thought for a while you could drive with like a beer in your hand in Mississippi. There was like a rule that you could have like one open container or something for the driver. I, I don't know. Maybe I'm wrong about that. But, you know, it's hard to know state to state rules. We we kind of make up our own. Um, I, I don't know. Uh, we, we've been really fortunate not to have any runs with the law. I want to knock on wood, though, because <laughs> this would be the time that then all of a sudden we, we hit that stride. And uh, you're on the road, what, 150 days a year? More? I don't know. It feels like more. Uh, with travel days and stuff, I'd, I'd say we're somewhere clocking around 200. Yeah, you're you're definitely in a lot of places that we are. I always see us yeah. like crossing through the same cities, you know. Yeah. But, you know, I think there is a point where when you've been doing it for 10 years plus, right? Yeah. Where, and I definitely feel like in these conversations I've been having where there's this point where bands are like, what is going to happen next for in my life, right? Like, can I sustain this? Mm-hmm. Is this a healthy thing for me to do indefinitely, you know? Yeah. Because it takes a toll, you know? It definitely does. Um, it's You got to find some balance. Um, and, and honestly, with, with the increased schedules and, you know, further drives and crazier days, it, it gets difficult, you know, I'm... I have to come home and and really go through like a checklist with myself and try to get things back straight in order. But it, it can be difficult. Yeah, you really have to be mindful of it, and it slips away really, really fast. You know, like your health. And um, I think finding some kind of routine is really helpful, but it can be impossible. It can be impossible. Um, sleep. That's the only thing I can say that has helped me is just guaranteeing that I get sleep. Sleep is not overrated as much as you possibly can. What is the thing that people don't know that you do that you really love doing that's not playing music? Oh, God. You're going to find out I'm such a boring person because all I have time for is music. Um, I mean, it's all pretty obvious stuff. I um, I don't know. Chris, what do I do that people don't know that I do? You love your cat. <laughs> I do love my cats. That's really What lame. are your cats' names? Mo and Minnie. Aw. Mm-hmm. That's really... How do they do? I love roller coasters. Oh. oh, yeah. What's the best roller coaster in the country? Um, you know, man, I don't know that. <laughs> I don't have time for roller coasters. I love them, but I don't have time for them. Should we play one song? Yeah, I'll play one song for you. We gotta... And then we'll have to get doing yeah. this festival here. Sorry, it wasn't tuned. It's that Mississippi Chill in the air. Mississippi Chill. All right, so this is a song. You said you liked it kind of a bummer but uh <laughs> I do love bummer songs me too you want a tuner can you cut this part out absolutely <laughs> <laughs> you can it's called need you more 
was watching over us that entire time. <laughs> he is watching us. Oh, my God. <laughs> He's here with us. Thank you so much. Thank you, man. What I appreciate it. What a beautiful it. song. Thank you. 
There she goes now, Samantha Fish, everybody. You can go to samanthafish.com for her music and tour dates. Yes, real in-person tour dates. Uh, Springfield, Missouri, Des Moines, Iowa, Omaha, Nebraska, Oklahoma City. She'll be playing all over the place in June. And uh, her newest record is called Kill or Be Kind off Rounder Records. It's awesome. Please check it out. And as you may have heard earlier in the podcast, when my beautiful new dog, Sunny, was barking her head off, my band Dust Bowl Revival will be playing tonight, yes, tonight, May 13th, for our virtual live experience. Uh, it is the night we play classic songs, tell stories, and introduce you to some new members of the band. So please check that out on mandolin.com and dustbowlrevival.com for tickets. As always, the show on the road is written, produced, and edited by yours truly, Zach Lupiton, and we are part of the BGS Podcast Network. We'll be off for a few weeks and then back in June with new episodes. We'll see you on the trail. Hi, this is Henry Kay, host of the number one music history podcast, Rootsland. Come with me on a journey to Kingston, Jamaica, where we explore the world of reggae music and the untold stories of some of the genre's greatest legends. From the ghettos and tenement yards where the music was born to the island's iconic recording studios. We are so excited to team up with Osiris Media, the leading storyteller in music. Because as you'll hear, sometimes the story is the best song.